first time with us, we are in the book of Exodus, um, and we're still pretty early on, so we're um, in chapters three and four. So last week we uh, looked a little bit about the history of um, what had happened since Joseph and his family came to Egypt. Uh, a number of years, 400 years had transpired. Um, Pharaoh forgot about what Joseph had done, and um, there was some fear about this group, the Israelites, who were getting strong and mighty. And so Pharaoh put some things into place in order to oppress them and um, to kind of keep his thumb over that group of people that was worrying him. Uh, and then we read a little bit about the origin stories of Moses. And today we'll be in chapters 3 and 4 um, and hearing about Moses' call. So last week Moses uh, had killed um, a, an Egyptian who he had seen um, hitting a, um, an Israelite. And from there he fled to Midian. Uh, and then that is where we will pick up. <coughs> Let's read this together. Um, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face, because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt... You will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. What stands out to you from this text that we just read together? A lot of good stuff in here. 
I wondered if I'm not a Bible scholar, so this answer, but I wondered if this was the first time that Holy Ground was mentioned or talked about. I don't know if there was a to take off your sandals. This is Holy Ground. If that was something new, a new idea or concept. Um, in the story of Jacob wrestling with God, he, um, after the fact, says this this place must have been holy for the Lord met me here. But at the time, he didn't know that it was only a retrospect. So. Um, Maybe not a completely foreign concept, but certainly the first time God has said, this, this space is holy. What else stood out to you? I liked um, the fact that Moses was minding his own business, doing ordinary things. And it's almost like God has a sense of humor to say, well, let me think of something that'll draw him over here like he's saying this is strange it's not burning up it got his attention yeah. and in that place was where he communicated with him it's like he appreciates his humanness to kind of walk out Do yeah you know what I mean? it seemed like there was yeah. kind of a gentle approach there yeah i love that the ordinariness of what he was doing um i, I kind of wonder if moses had thought when he was back in in egypt knowing who his family was and knowing he had been raised in the court of uh, the Egyptians, if he had thought, I have this big purpose, um, you know, I, it must be me who will be able to help my brothers and my sisters um, who are the Israelites. That's why maybe that he, um, he had killed that Egyptian. It's because he saw uh, himself as sort of the protector of his people. Uh, and it's in this distant land far away um, when he's no longer um, part of the royal court, but uh, a simple... Um, sheep herder that God comes to him and says, I actually do have a call for your life. What else stands out to you? Or what questions do you have? I'm trying to wrap my head around the fact that a voice coming out of the bush and it's speaking to me by name and how I would respond to that. Uh, because obviously that's not, I wouldn't think that's something he's experienced before. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know, that would, that would that's really peculiar. Mm -hmm. Not peculiar about God or mother, just trying to put myself in his shoes <laughs> standing there in front of the burning bush, which is, it's just, I mean, a thousand yeah. things go through my mind. Absolutely. Yeah, as I was reading it through this time, um, and it says, Moses, Moses, and Moses says, here, here am I. Uh, I think my response would have been, like, nothing. Like, turn around and walk away. Like, I don't know what this is, but I don't want any part of it. Yeah. Yeah. like when you see those videos of people who, like, hear noises in their house, and then they go towards Yes. Them. I'm like, I think nope. Mm -hmm. nope. If, if you're a ghost, you can have it. Yes. It's, it's yours now. Congratulations. Yeah. 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 I also think it's very interesting that, like, he doesn't fall down immediately in fear. Like, he, he the bush is talking to him, and he's not afraid of it. It's not until God... God says, I am the God of your ancestors, mm -hmm. that he realizes who he's in the presence of. And it's at that point when he hides his face and falls to the ground. Because he's afraid, because he's obviously like wondering, like he knows, he probably knows God's mm -hmm. like mentality about um, murder and you know taking care, and he knows the sins that he's committed, he knows the things that he's done wrong. And so there is probably that fear of like what are the consequences of God 
showing up to me. He's probably also heard the stories of what has happened when God has showed up to other people in the past. And so there is kind of that fear, not only a a reverence, but an actual fear of what is coming for him. Yeah, absolutely. When God calls Moses, God says it is because he has heard Israel's cry. Why do you think God's response to the suffering of Israel involves an invitation to partner with a human? Why would God not just have waved a wand or made something happen? Why did God invite Moses into this process with him? And what are the implications of that? For one thing, that's I would like to say that that's everybody's experience in here. You know, we can pray to God and say, "I'd like you to take care of this," but that's just that's the human condition. God's partnering, if that's the appropriate word, with us. I mean, I guess we can ask Him to do amazing things and just sit around and wait, but that's not typically the way. Mm -hmm. Looking back historically, that to this day, that it works. Yeah. Absolutely. It reminds me a little bit of God sending Jesus because in both situations he had a human being that was kind of his liaison, his representative, apparently worded. He he worked through another human here on earth and I think he knows us well enough to know that that's how we can best connect with him. Mm-hmm. We can relate to a human. Yeah. Easier than to a God. Yeah. In Genesis 1, it says we are made in the image of God. And there's a lot of um, meanings that that could and probably does have. Um, and um, some of the language that is used um, is that God made us co-creators. Um, So we are part of helping um, create things in this world. And God has invited us to partner along with God in creation. Um, And so, you know, almost always in Scripture, when God does something, it is through a relationship and an invitation to a co-creator to be part of that um, new life resurrection process that God is bringing along. It's kind of mind-blowing, huh? Mm <clears throat> but I think, even though all of us may not be like a Moses being called to that level of uh, partnership, but in reality, he's asked us all, every one of us, yeah. and like in this room, uh, to partner with him. And there are so many things that can stand in the way of the very thing that God wants to use me or I'm not worthy, the very things Moses used. Yeah. Uh, you know, that says no I, that that can't be right yeah but he, he truly truly wants that which gives you a different perspective of your own life mm-hmm. uh, God looks at you very <coughs> differently than you even look at yourself mm-hmm. absolutely yeah we've had the question come up um, the last couple of weeks why did God wait so long um, there were 400 years between, um, you know, when Israel was being oppressed and, um, or, or 400 years, years from, from Joseph to, to Moses, and the Israelites were oppressed for a part of that time. Why did, why did it take God so long? Um, 
And I don't know, I wonder if maybe there were invitations to a lot of people, to uh, Egyptians and Israelites and a lot of people who didn't accept um, didn't accept Jesus, or Christ, I'm sorry, God's call uh, for, for redemptive work. Um, yes? I think it's time to grow the nation of Israel. It was during captivity that God continued to grow them. They had to be numerous in order to, well, before they got, you know, for 40 years thrown thrown into the wilderness. That wasn't the initial plan. But to take over the promised land, they need to be mighty in number as well. So I think, you know, sometimes our timing is not God's. one learned through the suffering, yeah. and their need for God had to be strong enough to get them to want to leave as well and follow. Yeah. So. Absolutely. Well, the sad part was when God's man showed up, <coughs> suffering got worse. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I've already talked about that a little bit. So um, in the translation we read, um, when Moses says, uh, when they ask me, what is your name, what will I say? Uh, The translation said, um, I am who I am. Uh, And in um, Hebrew, that is, uh, which translates, it's it's a very weird translation. um, And there's, you know, with Hebrew, there's a lot of meanings that can be layered uh, into one word. Um, And so... Um, there's there's almost a future tense to this. Uh, tenses don't work quite the same way in um, Hebrew as they do in English, um, but there is an implication of a future tense. And so this could be interpreted, um, I am who I am, or I will be who I will be, um, or I will be who I am, or I am who I will be. And um, I think that is so fascinating. Um, you know, when you when you think about I am who I am, um, that means something. But I am who I will be. That has a different, a little bit of a different meaning. Um, and I wonder um, how Moses would have received something like that. Um, you'll know about who I am by the works that I will do. You'll know who I am by who I am to you over and over and over again. What else stands out to you from this name? Echyeh. Well, it's almost as if we threw time out the window when we look at this. And for us as individuals, uh, maybe we're stuck in looking what we used to be mm-hmm. and have no way of dreaming of a future that's anything other than the way we used to be. So in a sense, the throat time out frees us from our own self-deprecation or what, however you want to look at it, uh, and it allows us to be useful to God more than if we were stuck there. Yeah, oh, that's a great, great way to look at that. I love that. Uh, so, just a little bit of nerdy stuff. This is the first mm-hmm. time that God uh, named God's names mm-hmm. God's self. So, um, God is referred to as Yahweh in Genesis, but God does not call God's self that. This is the first time that God names God's self, and. Um, and God says, um, and then the, that means, you know, I am. Uh, and so then he tells Moses, what you will say is Yahweh. 
and that means he is. And so that's where the term Yahweh comes from. Uh, and then there are some later, um, we'll get into the, the Ten Commandments much further down the road, uh, but there are some prohibitions in there against using God's name in vain. And so in order to kind of make sure that you were never using God's name in vain and to, to provide that name with uh, respect and deference, um, the... Um, the Israelites stopped using the name of God entirely, and they started substituting um, Adonai. And so Adonai just means Lord. Um, it's what you know wives would have called husbands or slaves would have called masters. Uh, it's, it's a word that's used regularly. But in the text, when they came across uh, that YHWH, Yahweh, uh, they substituted the word Adonai for that. Uh, and then eventually, as a way to, to kind of make sure that that happened, Hebrew doesn't, doesn't really have... Uh, vowels. <laughs> it's a very interesting uh, language. Um, you can kind of put some pointers in there, and so they started pointing it with, with instead of using the, um, the vowels from Yahweh, they substituted those with the vowels from Adonai, and that turned into something like uh, Yehovah, um, which um, then when biblical scholars were reading that much later, um, Germans uh, started calling, calling the name um, Jehovah. And so that's Yahweh got switched into Jehovah. And so uh, when you see in your Bibles, uh, Lord capitalized, all fully capitalized, that is uh, a marker that it means uh, Yahweh. And then Yeh uh, Jehovah also means Yahweh as well. So just a little bit of nerdiness for, for a minute. <laughs> In, I think in contrast, too, to the Egyptian gods that the Lord knew he was walking up against, the Egyptians had a very categorized and um, neat kind of god order, where this god's in charge of that, this god's in charge of that, and there, here's the hierarchy, everything kind of makes sense, it falls into a place. And so I think knowing he's walking up against that perception and not wanting his acts to be confused as any other God's acts. He refuses to categorize himself or mm -hmm. refuses to really put too many labels on who he is or, or what he will do. And so I like that the wildness of God kind of comes out of this. Yes, you know? absolutely. The fact that he just calls himself, he says, you'll tell him he is. He is, and you can insert, he is the God of this and that. And I mean, instead of it being where you have the categories, like we see in a lot of ancient civilizations, and I think that was just a way for ancient civilizations to be able to wrap their heads around, like all of these things are happening in the world, and so it was easier for them to categorize, like there's got to be a God for each specific thing, instead of just one God being able to be over all of that. Yeah. And I think, again, it brings out the, the <clears throat> supremacy of this, this God that the Israelites are worshiping, that he is all of these things. He encompasses all of this. He is capable of so much more than one Egyptian god could ever possibly be capable of. Um, so just kind of really bringing that in, in my, um, I have the NLT, um, and it says, I am the god who always is. Mm. Um, just this idea that I have always been there. Yes. Um, I think this is also, um, when we look at when God is telling Moses all of the things that he has seen and he has witnessed and he has heard, we're seeing the empathy of God um, on display, like this, the fact that God, who is the supreme being, has so much empathy for the people. I He's have moved. seen, I have heard, I have witnessed, like, and I am going to do something about it. Um, I think we're finally, we're seeing that on display from God, that he actually genuinely cares, and he's going to do something to move um, and help his people in their time of suffering. 
Yes, this great God who created the universe and who always is and always has been and always will be um, also allows um, God's self to be changed by people, mm-hmm. by the cries of Israel, by um, the fear of Moses and Moses' needs for, for um, you know, some safety and security that we'll see uh, <laughs> down the road. But um, this, this big, powerful God is big and powerful and God always stoops. Um, and um, that's so that we can get to know God better. Mm-hmm. I think the thing that I hear with everybody talking is just the presence mm-hmm. of God. Mm-hmm. He was there and brought Moses present with him through the act of the bush burning. And yeah. then he uses Moses, his presence in Moses to speak. You know, there's just a sense that that is what he's calling us to the very moment as I am. It's present. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not something... It's I am. Yeah. Mm, I love that. That's great. Thank you. All right. Let's get into a little bit of weirdness now. (laughs) Um, So Moses um, responds and then God responds. So Moses says, what if people don't believe me? And God responds with three miracles. What is in your hand? And so he throws down uh, the staff and the staff turns into a snake. And then he says, pick it up. And he picks it up and it turns back into a staff. Uh, And then God says, and if that's not enough, um, tuck your hand inside your cloak and pull it back out. And when he pulled it out, it was covered in leprosy, um, which would be terrifying. I can't even imagine. (laughs) Then he said, now put it back in and pull it back out. And then he was healed. Uh, And then after that, God said, and if that's still not enough, if they still don't believe, even after that, uh, take a little bit of water from the Nile and turn it into blood. So he, if people don't believe, here's these three signs. Uh, And then Moses says, well, I'm not a good speaker. And God starts to get a little annoyed, and God is like, well, listen, I'm the one that made you actually, and I know that you can do this just fine. But not only that, I'll be with you, and I will help you. You don't have to do this alone. Uh, I'm going to be with you. And then Moses responds, okay, but I really don't want to do this, please. Can you send anybody except me? Uh, And then God gets mad. Uh, In your text, it might say God's anger burned. Um, Also, fun nerdy fact, uh, the word anger um, in Hebrew is his his nose burned. His nose was burning. Uh, And so you can imagine God like getting frustrated and red in the face uh, with, with Moses, which I love. Um, and he says, I will send Aaron with you. So even though, um, God is, you know, frustrated with Moses and, uh, has called Moses and is having to deal with all of these questions that Moses has, God provides every single time. Um, okay, here's your concern. I've got that. Here's your concern. I've got that. Uh, and I'll send Aaron with you. I think one of my favorite things, one, is like, so I love that they included this in the text because when it talks about the snake. He throws the staff down. It turns into a snake, and Moses runs away. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he was like, "Bye, I'm gone." It's, it's not. Like, it's I'm not leaving. the voice of God. It's not the burning bush. It's the snake. It was a staff prior. Like he yeah. knows, like this is a miracle. Like this is you know a, a thing that God has done. But he's like, "No, I'm out." Like I don't need snakes. This is it. Like I'm gone. And then I think that one of the things that I really like about this whole conversation this is probably one of my favorite scenes between God and Moses. Um, because I think it's a perfect example of what parenting looks like when you're trying to like get your kid to do something and you're trying to like be calm and be reasonable and they keep giving you excuses as to why they're not going to do it and then he's like, who 
made mouths. That's why it's like you finally just like listen. I made you. Like you're. I need you to do what I'm asking you to do. Like it's kind of like you you lose it and then you and then you like reel it back in. You know. You're like okay. Well, that was a lot. Okay. Would you like your brother to go with you to help? It's one of those like where you can really see this like display of like. God genuinely, like, you can relate to him. Like, you can relate to how, like, you try and stay calm, and you try and stay calm, and then finally, like, you just lose it. And you're like, okay, that was, that was a lot. Let's try this again. <laughs> like, and so it's this display of God that I think we can relate to on a human level of, like, at some point, Moses is really taking some liberties with God. Mm-hmm. Like, and I think that we don't always realize that we are allowed to take liberties with God. Like, when you feel those callings in your life, and you're like, I'm not... I'm not sure I'm ready for this. Like, this is not, God is okay with that. Like, I think when I was growing up, I was really taught, like, it wasn't, you shouldn't question God. Like, that God couldn't, this idea of, like, God can't handle your anger. Well, he's huge. He is, right? He's this massive, supreme being that can understand our hesitations and our worries. But what we have to do is we have to trust. It's okay to ask him, like, and tell him, I don't feel like I'm equipped for this. I don't think I'm ready for this. I don't think that I have the skills that are needed. And he just keeps reassuring, like, it's going to be okay. Like, I'm going to be with you. And if you don't have this skill, then I will provide someone who does to come into your life and to walk alongside you. And I think that's one of the things that we really see throughout this is just God's provision and his understanding of Moses' concerns. It's not that he, he's angry necessarily that Moses is doubting. He just wants him to finally get it, yeah. that God is going to be with him. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and so then the last thing Moses does is uh, he relents and he asks his father-in-law Jethro if uh, he can return with his family to Egypt. Uh, and then we get into this weird text. So they've, got, they've done this back and forth, and uh, Moses is finally, uh, he hasn't said he's going to go, but he's, he's, he's asked his father-in-law, uh, can, we, can we return to Egypt? So, um, in, in chapter uh, 4, Now the Lord had said um, to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all those who wanted to kill you are dead. So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey, and started back to Egypt. And he took the staff of God in his hand, the one that had been turned into a snake before. <laughs> the Lord said to Moses, When you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you the power to do. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son. And I told you, let my son go so he may worship me. But you refused to let him go. So I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. But Zipporah took a flint knife cut off her son's foreskin, and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. At the time, she said bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision. What is going on here? (laughs) Uh, So Moses has relented. He's on his way, and they stop for the night. And then God comes after him to kill him. And we're not sure who him is. We don't know if him is Moses. We don't know if him is um, Moses' son. Um, there's some question about, um, about that. Uh, but either way, it's, it's bizarre. Um, so what, um, what do you think is happening here? 
The question is, how did Zabora know what was going on? Excellent. Excellent question. I'm, going, mm -hmm. yep. I'm sure he told her about all that, but how did she know God was about to kill her? Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. Maybe she was about to kill him, and she said, sure. Just <laughs> <laughs> fed up. So one of the most compelling arguments that I have heard is that uh, it's from a rabbinic tradition that says that uh, this um, stopping at a lodging place for the night was the tenth time that Moses had done something to question or delay going back to Egypt. Um, and so he has all these questions. Um, who, who am I? I'm not a good speaker. Can you please send somebody else? Um, kind of d delaying by taking his family and, and instead of going by himself. So the, the way that, um, you know, the rabbis have added up to 10, uh, I don't know. Uh, you can read it that way, maybe not. I don't know if stopping for the night at an inn um, and going to get your family would, would have, you know, counted as <laughs> slowing down, uh, but the, the rabbis uh, seem to think that, that that is what's going on here. And so God is giving um, Moses 10 chances uh, to repent and to do what God has called Moses to do. Uh, and then when he doesn't, um, God says, okay, I am, I am at work trying to free my firstborn son and you are getting in the way of that. And so um, it's not just that God's judgment is reserved for Egypt, it's reserved for anybody who gets in the way of God's uh, redemptive work in the world. Uh, and I think that that is really fascinating and a really compelling argument. What are y'all's thoughts? I welcome any pushback or questions. Uh, a way to read it. So uh, Hebrew doesn't have quotation marks around things. There's not really um, a, a way to know. Sometimes we're sentence, sentences end. Uh, and so it's possible that in saying, then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you let my son go so he may worship me. End, end of quote. Uh, and then starting fresh, talking to Moses, but you refused to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. So maybe there's some. Uh, I'm switching directions, and this is this is what um, this is what I've asked of Pharaoh, and this is what I've asked from you, and you've refused to do it. And so, um, if you're going to get in the way of this, then um, then that's going to come with some consequences as well. We're we're on a path towards uh, co-creation and redemption, um, and yeah. I think Still my, a lot. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's no way for us to really know, like, yeah. what is going on and all these things. But in my head, you know, logically, I think, okay, if God sent me to do something, and I feel hesitant about it, and I'm not quite sure, and I'm dragging my feet, whatever, whatever, and God's like, look, this is what you're going to tell Pharaoh, and you're getting in the way. So I'm killing your firstborn child. Like, they're, they're done. Well, if that happens, or if all the, you know, why would I continue? Want to continue mm -hmm. to do the work? Yeah. Like, so it. So the logical part of my brain is like, what is God doing? Why? Why? Obviously, it's very long ago, and traditions were different, and maybe it was like, oh, I better like, uh oh, he killed my son. I better like buckle up and do what's right, kind of thing. <laughs> um, but that would not make me want to to follow and go forth with a with a mm -hmm. mission from a God who's gonna yeah. kill my son. <clears throat> Over that, you know, because I'm dragging my feet, 
like, why did you just leave me alone? You know, like, <laughs> just be like, fine, I'll find somebody else, you know. So, yeah, it's, it's really difficult to understand. And yeah. This will not be the only hard text we yeah. encounter in yeah. <laughs> in Exodus. There's there's a lot of stuff that makes you scratch your head for but sure. That is that is interesting though the um, the thought of um, you know the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. The idea that him was not actually Moses in our sentence structure. Right. Mm -hmm. It obviously points back to Moses and how that would all break down. Right. But if the if really what it is is the firstborn son, mm -hmm. then you know, mm -hmm. and like you said, how does know that? Yeah. Well, and I think it's pointing to the fact that redemption is always possible. Yeah. So we know from the story that the death of the firstborn son for the Egyptians does happen, but it didn't have to get to that point. And that's even clear in this is that, you know, even though it seems like God was about to take that step to kill Moses or his firstborn son or whatever it was, there, there, was, there is always something that can be done. So God's, um, you know, there are other texts that talk about the character of God and God's loving kindness and, and um, how vast that is. And yes, um, there, there are some questions that, that the text raises about God and God's character, but God forgives over and over and over and over and gives chances and chances and chances and chances. And I have to think that if Pharaoh had, you know, this text is telling us there were things Pharaoh could have done to have stopped the death of the firstborn, just like Moses and Sabor were able to uh, in this as well. But there's, you know, there's always room for redemption. Still hard. Well, it is an interesting thread. <clears throat> so, you know, why... Why was Moses, you know, why was his son not already circumcised? Great question. Right, so maybe there's a question lurking about whether Moses has really submitted himself to God. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And as he undertakes this mission, that's got to be brought out and resolved. Yeah. Uh, Moses, are you, are you really going to be my person? Mm -hmm. And are in the same way that Pharaoh is rebelling and resisting, Moses, you are rebelling and resisting. Yes, absolutely. And, we're gonna, and we have to, that's got to be resolved mm -hmm. before this can go forward. Yeah. The text doesn't say that, that Moses is on his way back to Pharaoh's court. He asked um, Jethro, he said, can I go back to Egypt and see if any, anybody is still alive? Uh, and so, you know, he may not have been resolved in himself and you know maybe he's thinking well i'll go but then when i get there i'll kind of see what the climate's like how mm -hmm. things are going what the political winds are and uh, then kind of make a decision about if i'm gonna follow this thing or not mm -hmm. so um, i think it also points back to in genesis where god does make a covenant with abraham and he says the way that i'm a, you, the way you are going to an outward showing of the fact that you are my people is that you will be circumcised yeah. and so for moses not to have circumcised his son I think it's kind of answering the question of like, had he really embraced like the fact that he was a Hebrew and that he was a part of this chosen people of God? Because he, he ran away from his people. He didn't just run away from Egypt. He also ran away from his people. 
and for 40 years he was amongst the Midianites, you know, like living in the land of Midian and, and being a part marrying into their, their family and, um, and so embracing their culture. And so he's been kind of this cultural nomad in a lot of ways where I think he's felt like, am I Egyptian? Am I a Hebrew? Am I a, a Midianite? Like what, what culture do I belong in? And I think this is God kind of saying, you got to choose now. Yeah. Who do you serve? Because if you, if you serve me, then you would have done this to show that your son is also a part of this covenant, that your family is my family. Um, and really, it's Sephora that makes that decision for him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, like, and, I got you. And she's in, a long, she's in a long line of women who have saved Moses up to this point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sister and mother and Pharaoh's daughter right. and Shipra and Pua and uh, a lot of women. Um, yeah. Well, it could be. Saving Moses. It could be... Uh, He's the only one that heard the bush, right? He went home and said, hey, pack it up. We're moving. And she was like, let me get this straight. And he goes, and by the way, our sons need to be. And she was like, I don't think so. Um, they get there, and she's like, okay. She didn't seem happy about it, but it's like she realized it needs to happen. Mm-hmm. So, you know, she may have been reluctant yeah. here with this mm-hmm. whole plan, and then God made it clear, no, this is the plan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a great point. Yeah. There's so much we don't know. It's just a... Mm-hmm three verses tucked in this story that are just a little bizarre. So we just have a few minutes left, uh, and I'd love for us to have a little bit of discussion on um, any of these questions. Uh, Do you think God's response to human suffering still involves an invitation to partner with humans? Uh, What excuses have you had in your own life for not going where God has called you? What names for God have been important to you in your relationship with God, and what questions are you left with? So we'll kind of do an all call, whatever, whatever anybody wants to discuss. Or if these are some things you kind of want to think about and meditate on throughout the week. I think the ones that I hear most from people is I'm not worthy. Mm. Mm-hmm. Who know, am I? Who am I? And which exposes some of our ungodly beliefs about how we see God and how we see ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because in reality we're not, but He's the one who makes us mm-hmm. that way. Yeah. I think for me in my own life, um, my fears or hesitancies around what God is calling me to tend to involve questions of, well, what is this going to cost me? How much is it going to hurt if I do this? And so there can be a lot of fear on my end. Um, you know, we, we read these scriptures and see how things go for Moses and, uh, and for Jesus and for people that have followed. And um, on the one hand, while um, I know uh, in my head that that is what will lead to eternal life and what will lead to um, to being closer to God and to getting to experience um, the new heavens and the new earth. Um, it's, it's hard sometimes to, to let go of what I want in my life and what would make me happy and comfortable and safe. Yeah. I would agree with that. I mean, we're kind of living that out right now, just trying to decide, like, what are the, what is the best path forward for our family, right? You know, is it is it to stay where we are? Is it to, for the boys to keep going to the schools that they're going to? Is it to move them? And it's kind of like you can't see what's ahead of you. Mm-hmm. 
like you have this feeling, you know that there's something that you're being called to do, that you can feel it just deep in your soul, but it's scary. Like it's it because I can't see what's down down the road. Like I can't see is it gonna be the right thing? Is it gonna be the right decision? Am I going to like end up putting my children in therapy because I've ruined their lives? You know, like it's one of those like you're you're you question and so the hesitancies and we see that play out with Moses, just this fear of like, but who am I? Like who am I to be the one to make this decision, right? I, I, this is my husband and my children and, and our families, and, and how does it impact them? And, and for me to give up my comforts as well, and, and to think through all of that. Um, good for Sephora for just being like, okay, all right, here we go. Like, you know, like she just goes with him and, and follows him. Um, and it, we don't really get a lot of her story of what life is like for her in Egypt, right? Like what her experiences are. But I think it's just this idea that we do get hung up in, in what happens next. Um, well, if I do this, well, what will people say about me? If I if I try to do this and I fail miserably, what will that look like? And who will be affected by it? And so we're paralyzed a lot by these fears that we have. Yeah. Uh, so a little bit of homework this week, if you're open to it. Uh, first, uh, we'll be in what chapter is next week? Five through ten. Five through ten, so a pretty good chunk. So if you want to read ahead, uh, you can look into that. Uh, but also if you find some spare time or um, while you're uh, journaling or praying or whatever, if you want to consider um, you know, names for God and um, how those have shaped your relationship with God or uh, what God might be inviting you into right now or uh, how God has responded to your own suffering in your life or how God has invited you to um, step into the suffering of somebody else's life. Um, I think those would be, would be good things to think about and meditate on this week. So thanks for being here. Hope to see you all next week.